Hi, friends. You're tuned in to Legal Means Business, a podcast by Leeway. We are joined by some amazing guests who help us identify how to take your legal function and career to the next level. I'm your host, Steph Smith, and we're talking all things legal ops and legal tech, as well as other critical skills needed to help you thrive in the evolving in-house arena. Don't forget, you can watch us on YouTube or listen on the go through Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy the conversation, please do hit subscribe and let us know what you think on social. And I wasn't necessarily doing the best I could do, I would say. I think we were trying hard, but I think that we were, that, that we were not succeeding. I think that we were getting the work done, but it was really painful in, in terms of, of how the work was getting done. You have an opportunity as you develop, as you build a team and develop a team to have folks work on different things and, you know, sort of thinking hard and intentionally about uh, what, you know, making sure that folks are working on the things that give them the most energy and, and having conversations with folks about what, what gives them the most energy, you know, I think from a work perspective is really important. In-house legal leadership has a critical role to play for legal teams when it comes to creating positive impact within a business. But taking on a leadership role can be more difficult than you might think. And let's be honest, most of us don't like to dwell on our mistakes, but learning from times when we haven't performed at our bests is a hugely valuable resource to become better. Mark Kahn is an incredibly experienced lawyer with in-house experience with the likes of WhatsApp, Yahoo and Segment. And having taken on important leadership roles during his career, Mark's no stranger to the challenges that leadership responsibilities can present. In fact, Mark has a super refreshing take on his past experiences. And in today's episode, he openly shares the mistakes he's made as a legal leader, as well as how he went on to overcome them and thrive in his future roles. Well, hello, Mark. Lovely to have you on the podcast. (laughs) Uh, Good to be here. (laughs) We've spoken before, so I've been really looking forward to our conversation uh, since we spoke because your perspective and the way you reflect on your past experiences was quite refreshing. So I've been looking forward to our chat. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm excited. I've, uh, I've listened to uh, you know some of your uh, early episodes and think what you're doing is great and I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of it. Oh, good. I'm delighted. I'm delighted because I, I know you, you knew uh, Pierre from a previous life, I believe, who was on the podcast. Yes, and... Yes, and he and I have stayed in touch over the years, and he's um, a lovely man and uh, and mm-hmm. a tremendous leader. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, honored honored to follow in his footsteps. Amazing, delightful, and that takes us on quite nicely, actually, because we're going to be talking all things leadership and legal leadership today. And I know that you've had a few different leadership roles in your legal career, so I guess it'd be quite nice to start with what does leadership mean to you. Yeah, so I think leadership is is really interesting, and, and it's one where I, I think for most of my career, even as I stepped into leadership roles, I really didn't know what I was doing and didn't really think about what it meant to be a leader, and that not surprisingly led to some you know not not great outcomes, which I know we're going to talk about. But I think you know what what I've learned over the years. I think leadership, uh, when you're talking about 
leadership and leadership and management are definitely different from one another. You can be a leader and should be a leader, even if you are an individual contributor and don't mm -hmm. have a team reporting to you. Um, but when you're talking, when you're talking about leadership of a team or in a company, with respect to your team, you really need to focus on uh, ensuring that your team feels engaged, engaged in the company, engaged in their work. They really want to be, are working on things that give them energy. I think that part of that means that uh, you have to build a trusting relationship with folks, which is, which is not something that happens overnight. You want your team to feel like that they can talk to you about the good stuff and talk to you about the bad stuff, including you know giving you feedback uh, on, on how you're doing. And so just, and that all starts with building a, a relationship, a trust-based relationship. And again, you know, feel like I learned some hard lessons along the way there. And, and I think as a, as a leader, I, I had, um, this is sort of outside the legal context, but I've been involved in, uh, youth coaching and, and actually I wasn't a very good coach, uh, but <laughs> youth sports. And I, I, at one point I started on the board of positive coaching Alliance, which is a nonprofit in the United States. And I think they've got some, I don't know if they've gone global quite yet, but it focuses on positive coaching in, uh, in youth sports and, you know, talking, you know, as opposed to like sort of the, the, the old school reputation of, of coaches yelling at their kids, which is yeah. something that Positive Coaching Alliance tried to get away from. But we used to talk about, you know, meeting the kids where they're at. Like you had this, it doesn't matter where you think your team members should be. It matters where they're at and then helping them get from where they're at to where they want to go. And hopefully that aligns with where they need to go from the company perspective. But so, but it's, it's sort of like, like, you know, understanding that different people will be at different places in their career and will have different skills. And so they may need more help and guidance on projects and initiatives. And it may vary depending on the project. So somebody who, who has a lot of experience in one area, you may just be able to sort of let them run with something. But if it's something that they're completely new to, they may need a lot more guidance. And so it's sort of that meet, meet your teammates uh, where they're at concept. Yeah, I love that. I've never actually heard that or I hate to say it, but I haven't really thought about it in that sense before actually, because you do tend to just make assumptions or think about the end goal rather than the starting point, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think you also just think about like, you've got somebody who like, on your team who's like, oh my, oh my God, they've killed everything they've ever worked on. Well, that doesn't mean like you throw them something completely new. Let's say, you know, they've been working, let's say they in in-house context, let's say they're a commercial deal lawyer and they've been working on transactions. And then all of a sudden you end up in an acquisition, you're getting acquired or you're acquiring a company. That's a completely different set of skills. And they may be the most talented folks in the world, but they uh, don't have experience in that area. And so they're going to need more guidance. And I used to worry that like that's going to feel like micromanaging them. But the reality is, is that folks, when, 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 when they're sort of new to something, more guidance doesn't feel like micromanagement. It feels like you care about them and you want to see them succeed. And so like, I, that was something that was, that, I, that was not intuitive to me. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, that's such an interesting point, actually. So it's almost like whether or not it's micromanagement is all dependent on the context, I suppose. Absolutely. You know, nobody, nobody wants to be micromanaged. I think we have different concepts of what uh, different beliefs or understandings of what micromanagement is. I think people want autonomy. I think that's generally true. 
However, they don't necessarily want to be left alone if it's something they're completely that's completely foreign to them or they feel completely at sea on. Like then they just feel abandoned, and that that very quickly leads to a deterioration of trust. Mm-hmm. Totally, on which leadership and team dynamics are built on. So it's all yeah, it's it's, a, it's it becomes a vicious cycle at that. Totally, point. that makes sense. That makes sense. And leadership is quite a funny one as well because obviously it is a, a bit of a softer skill and it's not something that's necessarily taught in law school, for example. And I, you do hear some people thinking of it as a bit of a fluffy subject, but as we know, it's it's super important to get right. So I suppose what are some of the misconceptions around leadership and leader, legal leadership in particular? Yeah, so I think it's a it's a great question. I think I do think it is certainly not taught in law school. There's a lot that's not taught in law school. It turns <laughs> out, um, uh, but I mean, I think that it you know there's lots of books out there on leadership, and you know I I will not I do not profess to be extremely well read on those books. But I think the one thing that comes to the first thing that comes to mind is you know finding your voice as a leader and and really sort of being you know figuring out what works for you. Um, because it's not a one-size-fits-all. But stepping back, uh, leadership in the in-house legal context, I think there's some there's some unique pieces to it that make it different from leadership as a lawyer in a law firm or leadership in another role within a tech company or within an in-house, within a company, a non-tech company, that makes things a bit different. I think, first off, there's a general misconception about the role of the in-house lawyer which is that it's that, that it's a one size fits all that basically there's outside counsel and there's being at a law firm and then there's being in house and when you're outside counsel and you've never been in house I, I feel like I painted it with a very broad brush and said that okay well in house is like this and the reality is that there is a much bigger difference if you looked at the companies that I worked with worked at over the years segment WhatsApp Evernote Yahoo those were all very different companies and the differences in those companies influences the differences of what it's like to be an in-house lawyer um it's influenced by things like the size of the company the size of the legal team what does the company expect of legal are they there to like what substantively what do they expect of legal and then also what sort of role does the company expect the lawyers to play are they just there to do the contracts um are they there to be a strategic partner I think where does legal report into? Is it part of the exec team? Does it is it does it report into the CEO? Does it report into the CFO? By the way, I think at least in private companies, both are workable. It's not you know I think people get hung up on legal has to report to the CEO, but there are some uh, uh, you know I I've seen it work both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, as you talk about leadership leadership for in house lawyers at tech companies, I think most tech founders, particularly the the ones, the wonderkins who are maybe new and haven't worked anywhere else. They've just, they founded a company in, in college or they worked at one other place and then went and founded a company. They don't really understand what legal does. And I really don't mean that as a criticism. It's just that they don't, they, they haven't been exposed to a general counsel or a legal department. They may, they've probably interacted with outside counsel during company formation and funding rounds and things like that, but they don't really understand the role that a legal a, a a a strong legal team can can perform for a company so you have to you have to bring them along and that's that's a that's a leadership skill that you don't necessarily think about like you are leading the company and you're leading the exec team in sort of understanding how the legal department can really help enable the business i think legal is 
uniquely situated in that it interacts with almost every other part of the business, be it sales or marketing or engineering product, mm -hmm. HR, finance, et cetera. And so legal is able to connect the dots in a way that can be hugely valuable for the company uh, that goes way beyond mitigating legal risk. And so I think that that is something that, that you don't necessarily think about as a you know, legal leadership, but I think it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's very important. It can be very valuable for the company just in sort of making it in, in terms of enabling the business to do what it wants to do. When you take on a leadership role, don't make assumptions. It's important to understand the role of legal leadership within the context of your specific business and your legal team. Ask yourself, what does the company expect of legal? What role does the company expect lawyers to play? Are they there just to do the contracts? Or are they there to be a strategic partner? Who do legal report into? And what's important to this person? Understanding these dynamics will help you mould your leadership style to your particular circumstances and help you and your legal function create greater impact within the business. Touched on a few things that I hadn't really thought about before, like, for instance, you know, the different contexts of the size of the business, the stage of the business that you're at, which, you know, fundraising round you're doing, or even, for instance, a company uh, or a legal team that's doing everything manually at some point, and then they implement legal tech that frees up a lot more resource, their role before the legal tech and optimized processes is going to be quite significantly different than after they've implemented that and they have this newfound uh, resource as well. So yeah, you're totally, totally right. The, the way that you, you lead those teams and the kind of priorities of those teams will be different depending on the context. Yeah. And I mean, I think your point on manual processes is a great one because early on, like when you're when, at an earlier stage startup where your legal team is just getting going, you're spending so much time playing whack-a-mole basically, you know, when you start to scale and you, you know, bring in a legal operations person and you, you implement some legal technologies um, for contract management and billing and, and other things like that, then you are able to, I mean, of course there's the, the there's the, uh, uh, the effort spent in getting those technologies implemented, but once you do, mm -hmm. then you're able to, you know, devote time to other other things. And of course, that makes it sound much easier than it actually is. There's always whack-a-mole that happens, particularly at a startup. But 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 I think that's that that's a great point that you've made. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then I suppose the second point that you made that I hadn't really thought about was we often think about le legal leadership in terms of leading the legal team, but you know, what role does legal leadership play for the wider business? It's it's not solely about leading, it's not people management, as you mentioned, it's different, it's a different game. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that, and this is, this gets into the role of the lawyer in-house. I mean, you're, you're, you're playing a, yes, you wear that legal hat and you provide uh, counsel to the company on, you know, contracts and intellectual property and employment, HR issues, all of those things. But you're also wearing a business hat in particular, you know, as a general counsel or a senior member of the leadership team or a member of the senior leadership team, I should say, you were expected to weigh in and help guide the business. I found as a lawyer, though, you know, you, you definitely want to pick your spots because you, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to get a reputation of being the lawyer who's always, you know, weighing in on business issues somewhat gratuitously. So I think, but, but it, it is, it is part of your job uh, to help guide the company and in, in ways that, 
may not always be right down the middle of the fairway, as they say, for legal. It's it's more about the it's more about the business. Yeah, totally. And I suppose that takes a bit of almost building your reputation within the business. As you say, you don't want to be seen as someone who chimes in unnecessarily uh, yeah, at every I, point. Yeah, and I, I think like for me, it was like during that first six months of being at a place, and this was true whether whether I was a, you know, a more of a individual contributor, more junior lawyer in-house or sitting in the general counsel's chair. The first six months, I tended to do a lot more listening and really had to sort of guard against weighing in too, too soon and too, too frequently because I was just trying to learn. And that was hard for me because, as you probably gathered, I do like to talk. So, um, uh, you know, that, but like being in meetings, just, you know, I remember I don't know, back at Evernote and I was... I was I was there. It was it was there was just me and the general counsel, just the two of us. And I would be in meetings with the product team, and and it would you know I was just really trying to listen because I didn't the, I didn't want to you didn't want to be excluded from conversation. So at that point, you know, early on, you're just happy to be learning about the business. And and there were times that I would speak up, but I tried to be um, really selective both in when on what I spoke about spoke up about and also how because like in a meeting of 10 or 12 people may not be that like i have some questions or i have some concerns okay don't raise them there but you know hey go talk to the person that you know that 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 knows the most about this and and make them aware and talk about it in a one-on-one situation because then it's like you're not going on a what could be a sort of a detour and spending a you know valuable time talking about something that really may not be an issue or needs to be drilled down on outside of the context of a big meeting. Yeah, totally. And I suppose thinking about your experience, you have some pretty interesting experience when it comes to legal leadership, I would say. Um, And in particular, perhaps when you were at WhatsApp, how did you end up in in a leadership role at WhatsApp and what was that like? Yeah, so I joined WhatsApp sort of in the middle of the acquisition by Facebook. It had been announced, but um, hadn't yet closed. And so this was in the middle of 2014. I was the second attorney there. And uh, so, you know, I was reporting to the general counsel. And uh, when I joined, I don't know that I had an expectation that I would, one way or the other. Honestly, I was a little naive in joining in the sense that I didn't realize really how fast WhatsApp was growing. I mean, I understand, I understood that Facebook was paying a very large amount of money for WhatsApp. So, um, but I didn't really think about what that meant for what that would mean for growth of the legal team. And so it just sort of happened naturally, very quickly, we decided that we needed somebody else to come in and started to build out the team. And, you know, because I was brought in to deal with sort of product counseling and commercial transactions and and a lot of the areas where we were going to need more help, it was just sort of uh, obvious that that as we built out the team that those folks, um, that some folks would end up reporting to me um, pretty pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because it was quite organic, I suppose you wouldn't have had an opportunity or thought about kind of, or actively thought about your leadership style. So what was your your default leadership style at that time? I don't think I had one, honestly. I mean, I I certainly wasn't intentionally thinking about it. I had, it had been a long time since I had had people directly reporting to me. In fact, let me think about that. You know, I, I don't think I, as a lawyer... I really had people directly reporting to me other than interns from time to time, but like in terms of full-time 
folks mm-hmm. and permanent hires. I don't think I'd had people reporting to me in several in several years, probably even going back, maybe really not even until before law school. And so I didn't really think about what my leadership style would be. Um, and part of that, I mean, we were so busy that there was just so much work coming in. It was just all about getting the work done. And so, you know, for a while, it was just the three of us, I had hired one person. Uh, and then I had my, there's a general counsel, me and the one person I had hired. And I think it was, we were so busy getting the work done. I think it worked okay. You know, I can't speak for the person who was reporting to me, but I think it worked okay for that, for that first year, despite my lack of really developed thesis on leadership. Yeah, totally. So, so it was kind of the, the three of you in the legal team at that point and what were the the dynamics like if you were just trying to get, get the work uh, done? I mean, I think it was, we were, we were fully in that, even though we had been acquired by Facebook, you know, by the time the, the third person started, we had been acquired acquired by Facebook. And so we were starting to interact with Facebook on a more regular basis. However, you know, for the, for the first two years post-acquisition, we were operating pretty independently. We were on our own campus. Um, we were, you know, part of the broader Facebook legal team, but we, we really operated quite independently. And Facebook legal and Facebook more generally was there as a resource for us, but it wasn't, you know, it was more, we were, we would come to them when we needed help and they would occasionally come to us when, when they needed our help, but it wasn't a fully integrated situation. So Mm -hmm. I think that at that point, the team that we were in full on startup mode is what I would say. And so we were close with each other. We were working hard. We were getting a lot of stuff done. Yeah, I mean, it was. It felt like every month. It, what this is a bit of an exaggeration, but it was like every quarter we would grow. Another hundred million users would be added. Um, so you know, which was you know, we'd go for it was four hundred million, then it was five hundred million, six hundred million. Pretty soon, we were at a billion users, and so we were just so focused on enabling that. You know, I think it it was going well, or um, well enough, I would say. There was no obvious issues going on. Yeah. I think as, as go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. On you. I was just going to say, yeah, I imagine it happens to quite a lot of in-house lawyers, particularly in startups, as you say, that you don't necessarily have this intention to actively seek out this leadership role, but naturally as the company grows and you have to hire more lawyers or, or those who have no legal um, degree as well for the legal team you just naturally have to take on that role yeah and you're just you're you're focused on getting stuff done and Mm -hmm. and um, that works to a point or can work probably not the best the best way of doing it but you're just so so focused on the the day-to-day that I think where I was failing was in it was, it was very, my relationship with folks on my team was very transactional is how I would describe it. We were very focused, like we would do, you know, do one-on-ones and things like that. And I was really wasn't thinking about like, Hey, how are you doing? And like, are you working on stuff that's interesting to you? It was more just like, okay, where are we on this? Where are we are on that? Where are we are on that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it, that was, it wasn't when we were small, it wasn't, I, I think it was, um, planting the seeds for sort of future challenges, but it wasn't a, it didn't manifest itself as a huge issue because we were, we naturally were developing a, a, a relationship, a working, a good working relationship, just because we were interacting with each other so much. I think as the team started to grow, 
and now you're sort of fast forwarding late 2015 and into 2016. And uh, so we're two years into the acquisition now uh, that, you know, and the, t- the team started to grow the, the sort of lack of intentionality in talking with folks and really sort of understanding what motivates them, what they were interested in, making sure that they were getting to work on things that gave them energy. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing any of that. And where I was still in that sort of transactional mode. And so folks, I think I'm putting words in people's mouths. I think folks didn't feel like I actually, I cared more about the work getting done than I cared about the people, mm-hmm. which wasn't true, but I understand, but, but I, 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 if I were in their shoes, that's probably how I would have felt. Being a leader means being strategic. It's about finding the balance between getting the work done effectively and helping your team stay motivated for sustainable success. To find this balance, start by being more intentional with how you distribute work within your team. Ask your team what motivates them, understand what topics they're interested in and where they would like to develop their skills. What tasks give them energy and what work demotivates them? Understanding this and distributing legal work in line with these motivations means your legal team will function more effectively while also maintaining high levels of motivation and satisfaction. And what exactly happened to make you realize, you know, that in your words, you were failing the team from a leadership perspective? I don't think I realized it until it was too late in the sense that, so, you know, if you, if you go now late into 2016, WhatsApp was uh, made the decision, Facebook and WhatsApp made the decision for WhatsApp to share certain data back with Facebook, not, not, not texts of conversations or chats, but metadata. And of course, that ended up creating all sorts of regulatory interest from data protection authorities in Europe and in, around the world. So at that point, things just got incredibly busy with um, and our, uh, with, uh, with investigations. And we were interacting mm-hmm. with data protection authorities around the world. And I received some, you know, some pretty pointed feedback from, from my boss about like that, that things weren't really getting done the way they needed to get done. And I sort of took that as, uh, I certainly got defensive. I'll tell you that, um, <laughs> uh, you know, cause I was like, well, we're really busy. We're doing the best we can. And, and, and I don't, I don't know that we were actually building, uh, I don't know that we were actually doing, I wasn't necessarily doing the best I could do. I would say, I think we were trying hard, but I think that we, that, that we were not succeeding. I think that we were getting the work done, but it was really painful in, in terms of, of how the work was getting done. We all felt overworked and people were, you know, I don't know the quality. I don't know whether, I don't know how the quality of work, I think we ultimately got there in terms of producing high quality work, but it was just really painful to get there. And I think that I, my view on that was just that, well, this is just how these things go. And I think that was, but was naive and wrong, frankly. That was, I, I, it goes back to the, the sort of the lack of trust that really existed that I had failed to build up with mm-hmm. my team because I hadn't really focused on building relationships. And so, it, you know, in early, I think it was, I can't remember, it was early 27, late, early 2017, I want to say it was. And 
my boss made the decision to move me back to an individual contributor role and not have me lead the team, mm. uh, which took me by surprise, but shouldn't have taken me by surprise. Like I was both sort of objectively, like if you look at at, at the, the sort of how the team was operating, it wasn't operating great. And then also, like, I think my, my boss had given me feedback that I wasn't doing what I needed to do. And I think I was just, I, I was I was probably way too dismissive of that feedback. It's, it's such a valuable story to hear, though, because we do hear from people who are flying the flag for building relationships um, in business and things. And But hearing the story of, you know, the trigger moment where you realize, no, it really is important. It has a, a lot of oomph behind it i think yeah and and let let me be clear like when i got moved back to the individual contributor role and was no longer leading a team i didn't realize it at that point the importance of relationships it it was not till well after i'd left whatsapp that i really began to 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 grok that and that's quite a good segue actually so um (laughs) you ended up leaving whatsapp and then i suppose your your next role um in segment what was your role like in segment and, and what did you do differently yeah so let me tell you about the first thing that i did after i left whatsapp which was i took i took time off i took um i decided i was really burned out at that point i was in no shape to go be a lawyer somewhere else or really um, and, and really work anywhere else at that point. And I decided I would take three to six months off. And if it became a year, I was okay with that. Now I recognize that not everybody can do that. You know, there are different for lots of reasons. Pe- people may not be able to do that. I was in the fortunate position of being able to do that. I spent the first three months not even thinking about what my next job was going to be. I was like, I don't even know if I still want to be a lawyer. That's how exhausted I was and how, like I said, burned out. Um, In early 2018, I decided that I still wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to go be the first lawyer at a startup. I've always gravitated towards startups. I'd never been the first lawyer. I wanted to go build it from scratch. So um, I started talking with Segment. It was literally the first company I I talked to. And I wasn't really expecting to go end up in the role at Segment, but I started talking to folks and really liked the people. The product resonated with me, the stage of the company, it just all came together. During the interview process, I talked with Peter, Segment CEO, and I said, like, look, I made some mistakes in leadership at WhatsApp. And I don't want to repeat those mistakes. Um, I'm sure I'll make different mistakes, but I don't want to make those <laughs> same mistakes again. And so I would love to work with an executive coach to help me, you know, get be a better leader. And, and Peter just so happened, you know, he was like, oh, I've worked with four coaches over the years. I think that's great. And I would absolutely support that company will pay for it. Yeah. And that's awesome. And so um not, you know, a few months in, I, I sort of got in and waited a few months until I began to, you know, get a sense of what the department was like, or it wasn't a department, but what the company was like before connecting with a coach. I talked with a bunch of coaches. I ended up working with a coach. And one of the things that, you know, we spent a lot of time was talking about the, the, the importance of trusting relationships and which is, you know, sort of obvious as you say it out loud, but you know, I don't think it was obvious to me at the time, but the way I sort of operationalized that as when I, when I began to build out the team and we started building out the team very quickly, I had expected to come into segment and, you know, really sort of sit back and observe for about six months and then start building out the team. 
I was there for all of six weeks and I was like, I need help. Um, and the company <laughs> was completely supportive. And so I started in March. Um, but you know, we, I think we posted the job by, by mid May and the person was on board by, you know, July, August. And then we hired another person, a legal operations person a few months after that. So we, by the end of the year, we've gone from zero to three people by the end of the year. The coach helped me, you know, sort of think through like, okay, what do I want my leadership style to be like? And, you know, I realized that one thing I definitely had not done in the past was talk with folks about making sure they were working on what they, what gave them energy. And so I started doing career conversations with people, but not in a sort of like, oh, twice a year, we're going to talk about your career, but more just organically that, you know, because we were growing fast. Um, the company as a whole was adding, you know, revenue and headcount were both, you know, basically doubling, you know, every, I don't know, 18 months or something like that. We, we went from 200 people it, when I joined in 2018 to by the time we got acquired, we were two and a half years later, we were approaching 600 people. Um, so it was very fast <sighs> growth. The legal team over that period went from just me to eight people by the end, by the time of the acquisition. And because we had so much work. We also had resources like we were, you know, we had, we, we, we were empowered to go bring in outside counsel, bring in contractors, hire, hire additional people. But it, when you're at that stage, when you go from one person to two person to three person to four, every new full-time employee is an opportunity to make sure that folks are working on stuff that they really want to work on. And so, you know, and, and have the right mix of things. So as like new things would come in the door, be like, okay, is that something you want to work on? Is that something that interests you? Yeah, that's interesting to me. Um, okay, well, what can we take off your plate? Because it can't be just constantly piling on. And this is where you, okay, well, now we're going to hire another full-time person. Do we hire a commercial, a person who's a commercial um, expert, or do we hire a privacy expert or something or something like that? And it's, um, it's uh, the thing about startups is, is that you really want folks at the early stage. And I, I'll define early stage in this case is when your legal team is, you know, uh, no more than maybe five to 10 people. You really have a bunch of generalists uh, 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 and folks who are, you're not going to have like, okay, I have my IP, a person who just does IP, a person who just does employment. You really want a bunch, you have a bunch of generalists. And so and that's what they gravitate towards. They want that variety of things. And so when new stuff comes in, like you, you know, it's, it, it's sort of, they, they get excited to take on that new thing. It's not, it may be a little bit scary to them, but it's not like, it's not something that they, they chose a startup for a reason, which is they like that, that diversity of, um, of work. And so the, but, you, but I think as you think about growing the legal team, what I thought about is, is sort of having centers of gravity for folks, like, this person is basically going to be doing commercial stuff. Okay, but now we've got some product counseling or some trademark work that comes in. Yeah, they're going to pick that up. It may not be in their center of gravity, but it's something they want to learn about. Or export control is another issue or another substantive area, you know, employment, whatever. And so allowing folks the opportunity to go develop skills in other areas, but do it in a way that they're not, it, it can't all be, it goes back to what I said before, it can't all be adding to their plate. And you touched on something interesting there as well around how you didn't enforce these career conversations or these type of conversations as a strict, almost development business thing. It happened organically. 
and you kind of ensured that. How how important do you feel that is? Because I mean, I I know how I feel from a personal perspective on the difference between uh, organic versus enforced. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think the enforced part is still important. Like, at, at you know, I think during we did performance reviews twice a year, and we mm-hmm. would still talk about it in performance reviews, but it was more just like it was a continuation or an extension or a formalization of the conversations that were happening on a on a very regular basis. And sometimes it was in one-on-ones, but sometimes it was just like, hey, this new thing has come in, you know, this is something that you would want to work on, uh, you know? And, and I made sure people, like one of the things you have to be really careful about is making sure that people understand that when I say, is this something you would want to work on? It really is an option for you to work on it. It's not a command. You're not going to be downgraded or you're yeah. not going to, it's not going to be negative if you say, nah, you know, I'm not really in, interested in that. And, but creating that sort of, uh, I'll use the phrase safe space, but really making sure that people feel comfortable and empowered to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take a pass on that one. But I, you know, I think it's, it's both. You need to have, you want to have the conversations organically. You still want to have the structured conversations, mm-hmm. but that should be a natural follow on to the, the unstructured conversations that are happening, happening organically. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. Because I think when you have this opportunity to speak about these things more organically and more on an ongoing basis and in real time, when things are coming in, as you say, or you're experiencing something, that's when it really kind of hits home and you you're thinking about it authentically uh, rather than solely speaking about it twice a year having to dig deep to to remember for instance so yeah I think that's a great yeah that's right that's right and yeah and I feel like I don't know I think it just feels austere a little bit if you're if you're doing it in just that sort of forced way And and let me also say one other thing about this is is that selfishly I discovered that I really enjoy those career conversations that I was having with people, with my, with my team, you know, and just, and talking about like, you know, what gives them energy because I was learning things about folks and I was just really, you know, it, 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 it allowed me to try to help them think about like, okay, what do they want to do now to sort of, as they think about longer term and then, you know, I'm not to like, what are the skills they want to develop and how can we develop it? And I just felt, I found myself getting, an unexpected and surprising level of energy out of those conversations. Having ongoing career conversations with your team can boost morale and speed up professional development. While yes, you will have more formal performance reviews once or twice a year, it's also good to have a regular informal feedback loop so you can draw on these insights to provide your team with the work that will keep them engaged and upskill them in areas that they're interested in. To do so, make a point of having these informal chats with each team member. And when work comes in, think about who would best benefit from it while still getting the work done to a high standard. Exactly. And I suppose so now that you've come out the other end and whether either now or when you were at Segment, you know, things are going much better from a a leadership perspective, I suppose. What were the, the key lessons that you learned from both your your more challenging experience at WhatsApp and then to your more positive experience in terms of leadership at Segment. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think the number one thing is, uh, you know, I, I mentioned trust and relationships and people toss those buzzwords around, uh, toss them around as buzzword, those words around as buzzwords a lot. But I think really focusing on understanding what folks on your team want to do 
and, and it, it, there's always going to be projects that nobody really wants to do or but as, as a general matter like you have an opportunity as you develop as you build a team and develop a team to have folks work on different things and you know sort of thinking hard and intentionally about uh what you know making sure that folks are working on the things that give them the most energy and and having conversations with folks about what what gives them the most energy you know i think from a work perspective is really important i think the other thing you know which i definitely paid short shrift to what or gave short shrift to was you know just the knowing understanding knowing your team on a personal level and individual level like you know what's going on in their lives how are they doing you know particularly in a in sort of a, a an all remote environment that becomes even more critical Definitely. like you know what you know what's going what's going well what you know what what's what's not going so well and you know you know people some people will want to talk more about their personal lives uh, than, than others do and, and sort of making space for that. Like you don't want to be invasive and, and sort of prying, but if, but, you know, make sure that folks don't, you know, feel comfortable talking to you about, you know, how the, how their mental well being is and things like that, I think is, is, is really important because when you are in those tough work situations that, that, that folks, you know, feel like, you know, you sort of understand them as a whole person and not, you, you just, you, you are interested far more in, not just in their sort of how they are doing at work, but like, how, how are they doing overall? And, and are they, are they enjoying what they're, what they're doing? Totally. And, and they are as much as we'd like them not to be. Our personal lives and our work lives are intertwined and one impacts the other. <laughs> Absolutely. More than we'd like to admit, perhaps. um and I suppose in in terms of the you you mentioned you really enjoy working for for startups or that's what you were looking for um after whatsapp so how important is it that leaders are engaged in in their specific roles I I think yeah so it's funny you should you should ask it in that way um I hadn't really thought about it in that way in particular but I've come to the view that it's really in society. I think we are conditioned to seek the bigger job at the better company. And I think folks need to resist that urge. People need to think very intentionally about, okay, is this job the right job for me? And is the company the right company for me? At the t- at, given where I am in my life and what else is going in, on in my life. Work is one part of everyone's lives. It's it, it may be a very important part, but it's not the only part. And thinking, I think, very carefully about you know what is it I want to do? How does work fit into that? Um, and what is like how what do I want my job to look like? And 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 because we do as lawyers, we do have it, it's very easy just to kind of go with the flow and just or go apply for the job at the bigger company that that is more prestigious and more salary and more equity and more title and all of that. But I think that's a ver- that's how you end up in a in a role that may not be the right one for you at that time. And I suppose if you're in a, a leadership role, you, you've touched on it a little bit. But I guess what were your lessons around communication and kind of clarity over different communication styles with with your team or the rest of the business? Yeah. So it's this is one where I think I was better in theory than in practice on like i think you want it's 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 important for leaders to understand how their team members like to be communicated with 
and also articulate how they like to be communicated with. And what I mean by that is, is like, you know, I mean, so much, particularly nowadays, gets done over email or Slack or even text message or WhatsApp or whatever. And that can, depending on the person, that can create some stress. So if, you know, and so I think I would, and I I think I did this even throughout my career, even at Segment, I, I don't think I was paying enough attention to this, which is like, if I send an email over the weekend, I have no expectation that the person will read the email or respond to it. But I I don't think I was actually paying enough attention to the fact that, hey, the general counsel is sending an email to a, a, one of his direct reports. That person may feel obligated to respond. Um, and that's not what I wanted. But you, you have to put yourself in the position of the other uh, of the person receiving the message. And, and um, I think our CEO kind of felt the same way. Like, and if I got an email from the CEO, like it, it, it didn't create stress for me, but at the same time I did end up, you know, wanting to respond mm-hmm. over the weekend or whatever. And so I think understanding from folks like how don't not, uh, not create stress needlessly by, you know, in making sure that um, like it, it, talking with folks about, again, open communications, talking with them about communication issues. And this may seem really sort of down in the weeds, but it's that stuff that's down in the weeds that actually can materially affect job satisfaction and, and, and happiness. Yeah, totally. I'm seeing more and more people put in their um, email signatures, things like, I work outside typical working hours sometimes. Please, I don't expect you to respond out with, um, outside of your tradition, typical working hours. So I think, yeah, things yeah, like that. Yeah, which be- I think is, I think, I think it's good. But it also, like, I, 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 that can become a crutch. Well, well, I said in my email that you don't need to respond, but mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's a good thing to do that. Yeah. But I think people still need to be. Um, it's a culture, isn't it? Careful. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. Exactly. You need to kind of build that so that they know whether or not it's true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which, thankfully, yeah. in most cases, it, it is true. Um, yeah. 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 It's just giving that confidence. And then you also, just as a bit of a, a last point, you did t- touch on a little bit as well about well-being. How important is it to be thinking about well-being as a legal leader? And what should you be thinking about? I, I mean, I think it's it, it's at the very top of the list. If, if, if you, and well-being includes yourself, if you and members of your team are struggling with whatever, then that's going to lead to burnout. And that's going to lead to ultimately people not being able to do their jobs or quitting or whatever. I think it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day craziness of what needs to get done. But you need to take time as a leader to get to know your folks and ask them how they are doing. And if they aren't doing so great, figuring out how to help them. And again, different people will need different types of support. It's important to remember that you, this doesn't like, you can't just go, Oh, how are you doing? And expect to get a straight answer. This hat, you, this is a byproduct. Having those open conversations and people feeling comfortable telling you how they are doing is a byproduct of a trusting relationship that has been built by because you have uh, invested in developing the relationship. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love it. Well, it's it's so refreshing to hear someone speak so constructively um, around a, an experience that was, I guess, slightly more negative out of 
your entire career I suppose so thank you for your your honesty and your humility and your vulnerability which I suppose are all things that we should be taking into our our leadership styles as well I suppose yeah I mean I do just one final point on that like mm -hmm. I was always scared about being vulnerable and I think one thing I did at segment was to be uh, really transparent with folks about where about my past struggles where I kind of fell uh, mm -hmm. at WhatsApp and also as I was struggling with stuff at segment. And I think this was important because it gave my team permission to not be perfect themselves and made them more willing to tell me when they were struggling with something. And uh, uh, so I, you know, I mean, like, look, we're all, uh, it's, it's trite, but we're all human. We're not going to do everything perfectly. And I think the more people are open about where they have, where they've had missteps, I think that the better, the better it is for everyone. Yeah, completely agree. Absolutely, completely agree. Super valuable lessons that you've walked us through and I'm sure everyone will benefit from from these kind of stories. And like you say, hopefully more and more people will become comfortable sharing sharing their, their more vulnerable stories because we all have them. Nobody's perfect, as you say. So, That's right. Yeah, much appreciated you sharing them. So th thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> I don't know if you have... Thank you for having me. It was a... Yeah, it was a pleasure and I, I, I great questions and I, I love uh, I loved our conversation. Oh, yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, really, really appreciate it. Super important conversation um, and hopefully some more people will join us and, and share their, their lessons learned from, from the hard times. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, I look forward to it. <laughs>